0: friends. I'm Allison and welcome to Out of the Average Podcast. So as you may have noticed right away, we are missing a very vital piece to the podcast. Um, Megan has taken the last couple of weeks away from the pod due to family reasons. So I'm going to be taking control of the media episode today. And if you follow us on Instagram, obviously, if you're following us on the pod, you might have noticed that there was no new episode last week because it was my birthday. So November is my birthday month. Um, and to begin this episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about a present that I got myself this year. So let's get into it. Let's get weird. So um, I've always been very interested in my birth chart, uh, my astrological chart, and I decided to have a professional read it for me this year. Um, I decided to like actually pay a professional because, you know, I have, I have my little uh, bits and pieces of information, but nothing really thorough, nothing that I could connect here and there. Um, And astrological chart readings, if done right, are very involved. Mine was about an hour and 45 minutes going over all of my planet placements, um, some meteor placements, what it all means, as well as learning all about my red flags. But let's be honest, if you have an astrological sign, which... If you were born on this earth, you definitely do. Um, We're all basically flying red flags, so we can't get too mad at ourselves. Um, I'm not going to go over my chart in detail right now, obviously, because that's a little personal. Um, I felt very called out the whole entire reading. Um, Although being born in November, I am a Scorpio sun, Um, although my moon sign and my ascendant are in Libra, so you can use that information as you will. Um, So astrology readings really aren't supposed to tell you anything new or shocking about yourself it's really meant to be affirming and that's how I felt about it it was I felt very affirmed um, and I wanted to go over some astrology terms in case you're curious like I'm not again um, I'm like not super 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 like familiar with um everything, which is why I had someone read my chart for me, but I have a basic idea of what some things mean. So as I had mentioned before, I told you my sun sign, I told you my rising sign, which is also known as an ascendant sign, and my moon sign. And these really set the basis of our personality and the way people perceive us as well as how we perceive the world. So basically to explain it as simply as possible, your sun sign is like the core of your being. Um, Some people use quote-unquote ego to describe Describe it. Um, It also kind of describes our physical needs. Um, A lot of people tend to define themselves by their sun signs. And while your sun sign is an outward projection of your personality, it's really not the full picture at all. Um, I find that most people can't pick out that I'm a Scorpio right away because of my heavy Libra placements. And that um, goes into what a moon sign and an ascendant is. So our moon sign describes our emotional body, um, how we personally process our emotions and our gut feelings it's our deepest inner emotions and then we have the ascendant which um, is described as the quote-unquote mask we wear it describes the ways uh, like the ways other perceive us and how like the veil in which we will see the world so my ascendant's in Libra so it means that I have a very idealistic way of looking at the world I kind of look at the world with rose-colored glasses um, which isn't a bad thing but also in a way is um it's like the duality the complexity of it um so um it also like it describes the our ascendant sign describes our initial reactions to things, so our first impressions, if you will, are filtered through our rising sign. Um, and it said as we grow, as we come become like older, we start to grow into our rising sign. Our rising sign becomes more apparent. Um, if you don't really resonate with your sun sign, it might be beneficial to look more into your rising sign, and because you might be a combination of both. Um, It's really funny too, because recently I've been wanting to dress up every day and like look really cute. And apparently that's a really Libra thing to do. So I guess I'm growing into my ascendant sign. Um, And then we also have signs with planet placements and planet placements are more in-depth Detail look at our personalities. So, for example, whatever sign you have in Mercury dictates the way you communicate. Uh, Venus is how and what you love. Mars is the energy around how you take action and assert yourself. And um, if you're curious more about your planet placements, I can recommend a really great app. I know it's on like apple divert devices i know it's on iphone i don't know if they have an android app for it yet um so you'd have to look into that but uh the really great app is called costar um and it explains your whole chart it gives you what si- signs are in certain placements and what those things mean so what certain signs in certain placements mean um it gives you a horoscope every day um and it's very detailed you're so if you're just starting to look into these types of things you can do that also like your friends can sign up too. So you can kind of, um, compare your charts, see if you're compatible in certain ways, not just romantically, but like in the way you communicate, are you, um, are your Mercury signs compatible sort of thing? So it's, it's really cool. I can like go on and see like today, um, the day I'm recording, it says to explore, like to explore, um, positive, like positive affirmations with one of my friends who's like a Virgo. So, um, yeah, it's really cool to check out. Um, then another really important, important placement is our Chiron sign. And our Chiron is the wounded healer. So Chiron is our deepest insecurities, the areas of life that seem the most difficult, but it explains the wounds that we are meant to heal in this life. Um, and because of that, if we heal, it becomes our greatest strength. Um, so astrology is just really telling us where we can grow. Um, of course we can see some of the things as faults. Um, again, like I said, we're all red flags. Um, but really the perspective shift needs to be, um, what we can do to grow so we don't fall into these problematic patterns that we can see in our chart. Um, and of course there are people who don't think astrology really holds water and I get it. Um, I, I do believe that astrology has like a real, um, intuitive element to it as far as, um, you know, uh, like reading what certain things means, but I do find some concrete fact in it as well, because like, especially with the planet placements, it's like this sign in this placement means this. And so how things can, um, kind of like how you can navigate the reading is very intuitive, but there are some like concrete facts. Um, so for me, my reading was like so enlightening. Um, I could really see where I have healed already. Um, I could see what I am currently healing, as well as patterns that I recognize personally popping up. So if this is something that piques your interest, I highly recommend doing an astrology reading for your chart. You might find some real affirmation in it. Mm. So let's get into some books. I was going to say I want to introduce two book series on the pod, but truthfully, I want to introduce a book universe, and it's not even introducing because I've totally talked about it before, and you 100% know what it is. It's the Percy Jackson universe, Um, but I also have another book series that I want to talk about that I haven't consumed this month, but I did tell Megan to read, so we're going to talk about that too. Um, So The Trials of Apollo, um, the fifth and final book came out last month, and I finally got my hands on it, Um, but I'm not going to talk about that quite Yet, um, until I talk about Percy Jackson, because I might as well take the time to really explain the Percy Jackson universe. Um, so uh, Percy Jackson was a five-book book series uh, from 2005 to 2009 following Percy Jackson. And it really, if there's anything you need to know about Percy Jackson, um, is that he is 100% the reason why I'm still single. Um, it's very hard to find some nice sons of Poseidons out there. Um, but yeah, it's it's such a funny book. It's such a great way to... Um, introduce Greek mythology to younger readers. Um, it's definitely middle school grade, but any but I think at this point, any age could really enjoy it because they're so funny. Um, it's not where I've learned all my mythology, but it's definitely a resource. Rick Riordan does a very good job um, incorporating Greek mythology and other mythologies, which I'll explain after, into um, just like a really – digestible way especially because Greek mythology can be a little rough at points. Um, so he does a really great job integrating it and making it funny and the books are just so much fun. They really are. So again Percy Jackson uh, was a five book series from 2005 to 2009 um, following Percy Jackson who is a son of Poseidon and um, all his friends at Camp Half-Blood which is a um, camp in, on Long Island, which I really loved, and all the sons and daughters of different Greek gods go, and there are quests, and there are prophecies, and um, it follows the idea that Kronos is trying to take over the world. Um, so if you know Greek mythology, you know who Kronos is. Um, after Percy Jackson is the first spin spin-off. Um, called Heroes of Olympus. And this is where Rick Riordan introduces Roman mythology because Camp Half-Blood actually has a Roman uh, counterpart camp called Camp Jupiter. And we meet um, sons and daughters of the Roman counterparts of Greek gods um, because Greek mythology was very much integrated into Roman mythologies. The Romans adopted it, but they adopted it with their own ideals. And so seeing kind of the Greek um, and Roman counterparts is so interesting. And you follow um, multiple characters through that. So Percy Jackson is very much just Percy Jackson's point of view. But Heroes of Olympus, you follow multiple characters' point of view. And I love books with a multiple point POV. Um, So, Heroes of Olympus is fantastic as well. Um, Heroes of Olympus was from 2010 to 2014, and it was another five-book series. Um, After that, Rick Riordan wrote Magnus Chase, which was from 2015 to 2017. It's actually Norse mythology, so it's not Greek, but Magnus Chase is uh, the cousin of a Percy Jackson character, Annabeth Chase. Um, And... Also, very, very good. I'm not familiar, I'm not as familiar with Norse mythology as I was with Greek mythology. So, it was an again, another just great way to like integrate learning Norse mythology and um meeting all these characters who like are just like demigods and all that stuff. Um. And then after, after that, we have the trials of Apollo, which started in 2016 and has now ended in 2020. Um, and it follows Apollo. Yes. An actual Greek God. So Apollo pissed Zeus off and Zeus decided to make him human. And now Apollo in his, human form, his like unworthy human form has to save the world from three Roman empires who wanna like destroy and take over the world. Um uh Roman emperors, I should say. Um and I just finished the book and it's so bittersweet because because there are so many spin-offs in the Percy Jackson universe, um it's kind of like this is the last book that's going to be out for a while, if not forever. I know Uncle Rick had said that he wanted to, like, write some books just following, like, one character. Like, so it was, like, easier to follow. But those aren't really, like, a twinkle in his eye yet. And so um, I'm very satisfied with it. And while The Trials of Apollo was definitely not my favorite series um, in the whole arc, um, there's definitely something about Rick Riordan's writing that makes me feel like home because when I picked it up, it just felt so comforting and so um, loving. And I just really enjoy spending time with his writing and his characters and even seeing Apollo's arc from where he was in the beginning to where he is now. Um, I really enjoyed it. so that's all I'm really going to say, not to spoil too much, but I was very satisfied with how this, this series ended, and I'm satisfied with, you know, the Percy Jackson universe kind of being closed for now, um, but Rick Riordan, believe it or not, does um, sponsor other books, and I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, he's right now he's not really writing anything, but he, uh, he is sponsoring books by authors who want to showcase their culture and, or their cultural mythology. Um, I should also say before I do this, Rick Riordan also wrote an Egyptian mythology book that was not part of the, um, the Percy Jackson universe called the Kane Chronicles. Um, so there were three books of that. Um, but yeah, he sponsors authors, um, who want to showcase their own mythologies. So, um, not all of them are like written in a Percy Jackson style, but they have the same vibes and like also like the mythology is intertwining into our own world. So for anybody who's interested in reading books about different mythologies, I'm gonna list a few right now. But if not, you can always go to his website, Rick Riordan Presents, and he has a list of all the books that are coming out. So um, books that he sponsored were Aru Shah, which um, is all about Hindu mythology, The Storm Runner, which is Mayan mythology. Tristan Strong, which is African mythology, um, The Dragon Pearl, and most recently announced The Last Falling Star are Korean folklore, um, Sal and Gabby Break the Universe, which is Cuban influence, and again, there are others, so you can definitely check it out if you're dying to dive into mythology in this sort of way, and um, as far as Percy Jackson too, um, I know Uncle Rick is involved in a Percy Jackson TV series that's hopefully going to be really done right by Disney Plus. Which, if Rick's involved, then I totally believe that it's going to be super faithful to the books and respect it. Unlike those movies, which I don't even want to like pretend exist, but like for for the record, like they're not good. They just it's like no not good um but there's also a percy jackson musical that was fantastic so um if you're interested in looking into any of those things definitely go do it percy jackson is amazing the next series i wanted to talk about was the arc of a scythe series so scythe was um it's a three it's a trilogy scythe was released in 2016 um the second book thunderhead was released in 2018 And The Toll, which was the final book, was released last year in 2019. And so this is the book series I wanted Megan to read. um, But at this point, I don't think she has read it yet. But hopefully by the time the podcast comes out, um, she will have read it. Um, And I'm just going to read the Goodreads summary because I think it does a very good job of explaining at least the first book. And that is Thou Shalt Kill. A world with no hunger, no disease, no war, no misery. Humanity has conquered all of those things and has even conquered death. Now scythes are the only ones who can end life and they are commanded to do so in order to keep the size of the population under control. Citroen and Rowan are chosen to apprentice a scythe a role that neither wants. Those teens, these teens, must master the art of taking life, knowing that the consequence of failure could mean losing their own. Um, such an interesting concept. Such an interesting series. Um, it's definitely a utopian, and the world building in this is amazing. So um, it's written by Neil Shusterman, and his world building is just incredible. Thunderhead um, is my favorite book of the series, and if you decide to read the book, you will. Lower the series, you will completely understand why. Um, I don't want to give too much away because it's definitely one of those books that you want to go into it knowing as little as possible because, like again, the world with building is incredible. Um, but it's a utopian, so dystopian used to be really big. How many years ago? Um, but this is seeing a world in which life and death don't in a way really mean anything like what does it mean to live up live forever and what does living forever take away from us we talked like two weeks ago about Nick Flamel and the philosopher's stone and immortality but we didn't really talk about what immortality means like what does it really mean to live forever and what does that take away from us and so um The journey of the two characters, Citra and Rowan, are so interesting because they have, despite being apprentices to the same scythe, their journeys kind of veer off. Um, What does it mean to take a life? Um, So I'm not going to go too much more into that, but highly recommend you read it. Um, If I had, like, I would never want to be an English teacher, but I would potentially, like, if I were, like, if that I was in an alternate reality in which I was becoming an English teacher, which isn't happening, this would definitely be something that I would want to teach my students, that I would want to explore with my students, um, because it's just a really interesting concept, and Neil Schusterman does such a good job, so, um, that's the end of our book section, um, and I hope you guys check out these series. Thank you. Lastly, I'm going to be talking about the visual media I consume this month, and Megan too, I guess you could say. So Oak Island did start again this month, but I'm going to wait until Megan is back on the pod to talk about that. But I just wanted to acknowledge that I am in fact watching the new season of Oak Island right now. Um, But I wanted to talk about three things on Netflix for the visual media that I consume this month. And the first one is actually one that Megan and I watched together. That was The Secrets of the Saqqara Tomb, which is a 2020 documentary, and it was released on Halloween of this year. Um, I have the Netflix summary. I'm gonna read it quickly and then we'll dive into my thoughts. So the Netflix summary goes as follows. It is heralded as one of the most jaw-dropping, exciting, and important ancient Egyptian discoveries in decades, and the discoveries have only just begun. Join a team of local archaeologists as they excavate never-before-explored passageways, shafts, and tombs, while piecing together the secrets of one of Egypt's most remarkable tombs. News of the tomb discovery had gone around the world, and it's been heralded as the most significant find in almost 50 years. The condition of the tomb is remarkable, but the real excitement lies in what is to come the archaeologists hope that they are going to unearth the possessions grave goods and mummies of the high priest and his family and with that information hoping to transform our understanding of this period of old kingdom history so yeah Megan and I were super into it we loved it it was not long enough I mean it was a long documentary but like we were so into it um, the tomb itself was discovered in 2017, but the documentary takes place six weeks to Ramadan in 2018, um, because in order for the government to give more funding, they needed another big discovery on top of this tomb. Um, so as in the, the summary, they find the tomb of a high priest named Wati. Um, He was believed to be a high priest of the Bubastian, which was a society that revered Bast, the goddess with the head of a cat, um, also known as Sekhmet. Um, And there was some conspiracy around the tomb. So you got to see it like all play out in the dock and Meg and I were like super invigorated by it. There was a lot of deciphering that needed to be done and honestly like i would recommend just watching it so you could see all the experts in action and so of course you know being like an ancient egyptian um dig site they had people deciphering the hieroglyphics and a woman who analyzed bones and a woman who examines mummified animals like again, all the things you'd expect. But it was just, like, so amazing to see them doing their work and also being so amazed by the things that they found um, in the tomb. Because there were a lot of mysteries. Like, it was not, like, a straightforward, this is Wati's tomb sort of situation. So, like I said before, there was, like, conspiracy around the tomb. And so, every minute you were kind of given new information. The documentary was just super well done. And Megan and I would totally love a follow-up in the next few years to be completely honest um the next show I wanted to talk about was The Queen's Gambit which was released 2020 um I'm not exactly sure of when it was released it was either October or November of this month um of course like it's obviously we consume a lot more media than what we talk about on the podcast but we try to keep the um the media very out of the average themed, and so while this isn't super out of the average i think it's not a topic that is explored as much um and that's chess um chess is like kind of like, we think of chess as kind of boring, right? But The Queen's Gambit made chess not boring at all. And that's why I felt like it was warranted to talk about on the podcast, because chess is a little out of the average. Um, So I got this description from Wikipedia. Um, The Queen's Gambit is a fictional story that follows the life of an orphan chess prodigy, Beth Harmon, during her quest to become the world's greatest chess player while struggling with emotional problems and drug and alcohol dependency. So The Queen's Gambit is a chess- Opening. Um, so chess is very involved, which I always wow. knew it was, but it was amazing to kind of see it in the show. Um, it, it's a game of wit, but also a game of memorization, which is interesting. Like there's all these different openings and the, of the way you can open a game. So it was interesting that the queen. So the queen's gambit is one of those openings, um, and the story begins in the mid 1950s and proceeds to the 60s because it follows Beth Harmon through her um, childhood to her adulthood. Um, just off the back, I really liked that it was, like, a one-and-done sort of show. Um, and I don't need to wait for a second season. Like, of course, it's sad that, like, it's over. But just the full arc of it was very satisfying. And it was, like, just enough. It felt... Um, one of my friends had watched it and we had talked about it. And even though it was a show, it was, like, eight episodes long, seven or eight episodes long, it really felt like a movie. The film, um, the filming was, was beautiful. It was very... Um, well organized um yeah and of course like I love an extremely smart flawed yet also extremely gla- glamorous protagonist um it was actually the actress's choice to make her glamorous because they weren't gonna do that and like no you need you need that you need that well-rounded balanced character you know and also I love the fact that we can separate like oh, well, smart women are only smart and beautiful women are only beautiful. It's like, no, like, there's complexities here. Like, you can be glamorous and you can be smart. Um, and there was a lot of respect from, you know, in this this era, the 1950s, 1960s, women weren't really playing chess um, or they weren't in competitions to play chess, whether or not they were playing chess in the the comfort of their own town, ta- like, a... Uh, of their own house and and stuff like that um, and so uh, there was a lot of respect from the males that she played against none of them really got super angry angry with her it was like when she won the game there was a respect there um, I mean the gender in this sort of instance is always like a conflict but I appreciated the way they went of, of, about it. And I appreciated her arc in general. Like she felt super relatable and real. And like we saw her at her highest of highs. And we also saw her at her lowest of lows. And from there, we we got to see her pick herself back up, which was beautiful. And, you know, she earned her respect and she gained some really beautiful friendships along the way. Um, the show itself is really heartwarming. It's really satisfying. There are heavy aspects of it. Um, but... Ultimately, at the end, you just feel super satisfied. Great watch if you're looking for something different. Um, yeah, the chess was actually super exciting. My friend bought, not bought, but like she got like an app to teach her chess on her phone. So, you know, it's like really, really um, like uh, invigorating, I guess. Um, and then the last thing. The last, like, thing I watched on Netflix this month uh, that fits into the out-of-the-average kind of scope, although I wasn't super taken by it, to be honest, was Rebecca. So um, Rebecca is based off a 1938 novel of the same name by Daphne du Maurer. Um And there was also a 1940 Alfred Hitchcock movie. Um, if you're not sure who Alfred Hitchcock is, um, Alfred Hitchcock's a filmmaker who is nicknamed the Master of Suspense because he employed a different kind of like psychological suspense in his film which was like a unique viewing experience for the time um and this was his first american film and so knowing that it was it was an alfred hitchcock film before it was remade for this 2020. um it was a romantic psychological thriller um and i'm not gonna go to like again i wasn't super taken by it so i'm not gonna talk too much about it um but i will leave you with a synopsis, so if you decide to watch it, absolutely go for it. So, a young newlywed arrives at her husband's imposing family estate on a windswept English coast and finds herself battling the shadow of his first wife, Rebecca, whose legacy lives on in the house long after her death. And um, those three things are what I wanted to share with you for the visual media this month and I hope you enjoyed all my uh, ramblings today. I feel a little lost without Megan, but it was interesting to do this at least. Um, if you have any thoughts, if you watched Rebecca and you liked it, you can Always message us on our Instagram at outoftheaveragepod, or we have an email out of the average pod at gmail.com. Um, send us a, your thoughts, um, any opinions, anything out of the average that you watched this month and you want us to know about. Um, and we also have our website. Our website is outoftheaveragepod.squarespace.com, and you can comment on there and see what we're up to. So um, have a great week. Megan will be here next time, and stay weird, friends.